Let's just pray again. Um, just get back into that place where the Holy Spirit is, even, is here right now. And the Bible says we're two or more gathered in his name. He is here. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Not just into the congregation, but each individual person. We personally welcome you right now. I pray for every heart and every mind to be open to hear and understand your word. Father, I ask you for wisdom and guidance to reveal your truth here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a bit big, so I'm, I'm going to rearrange my, my work area, if you don't mind. Get my tools out of the way. Or Yanto's tools. Well done. Yanto, John was speaking, and you distracted me a couple of times. The passion and the playing of that guitar. I thought, mate, <laughs> there's a real connection there with the Lord this morning. <laughs> um, but this morning, I'm going to be continuing on my series, if you want to call it that, of called Revealing Jesus. And really, it's revealing Jesus through the Gospel of John, one verse at a time. Um, and we're working right through it at the moment, and uh, we're still on, on chapter one, so there's a bit to go. This is part five of it. Um, but we're revealing Jesus, we're interpreting his word, looking at his word, revealing truth and life as we journey along these verses. And uh, we, we touched on a tiny little bit this morning, but um, at the moment in a time, I mean, as time goes by and as the, you know, we step into this postmodern, whatever you want to call it, Western world and all these different names you want to call it, but there's so many false teachings out there, there's so many things out there that lead are leading people away from Christ claiming to be of Christ claiming to be a prophet but in fact are false prophets and in Mark 13 which Athena preached a few a, a while ago um, uh, it talks about that talks about false prophets talks about false teachers and even we, we're hearing about these self-appointed super apostles that are going on in the most in the modern world and uh, unfortunately uh, there's a lot of misrepresentation of the word of God and uh Many people claiming to have special anointings, special gifts from heaven that only they hold and only they can share. And if you come to them for two ninety nine, you can purchase it right now. And uh, misleading followers and misleading people, misleading, you know, creating all these man-made religious ideas. And it's critical right now, us as believers, that we grab onto and we take hold of the Word of God. I mean, it's been like that for thousands of years. But now, the time that we're in now, it's even more and more critical. Tomorrow, it's going to be more critical. It's critical now. And that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's now that we have to grab onto his word, grab onto his truth, and, and uh, so that we can experience that life to the fullest, even though we're in a troubled world, even though we're, we're in a place where it is dark and it is broken and things are going on and there is a lot of troubles and even as Christians, the Bible says that, you know, we are, we are not free from troubles. In fact, Jesus says that trouble will come in this life. But in Christ, we have an opportunity to see our life, to see troubles from a different perspective, from a heavenly perspective, from a perspective of life, a perspective of eternity, seeing things beyond this life, beyond our own lives. And uh, as we trust in him, we can be firm and we, we can be unshaken. We can stand in him as we continue to live in faith, hope and love. And even one of the purposes of John the, John the Apostle in his, in his gospel, 
And one of the purposes that he had was to believe in Christ, is so that we can believe in Christ as we read through his gospel, and that we can have eternal life, and we can have life in his name, having no doubts, trusting in him, and overcoming the world that we live in. So now, part five of the gospel is John's teaching, and I'm, conf- and I'm going to come to the end of chapter one, finally, today. Yay! Five times to get to chapter end of chapter one. I tried it last time, but there's so much in it. The more I study, the more I pray, the more I seek his word and seek uh, wisdom, the more there is, and the more God reveals more, and the more reveals, and the more he speaks to me, and the more I'm praying that he speaks to you. And whether you've been a part of hearing these messages or not, I pray that the Lord encourages you this morning with what I'll be sharing with you today. So we come now to John 1.38.51, which is a very simple, brief story of his first followers. In the other Gospels, you see that you know, there's a bit more of a storyline on explanation on how the disciples came about and how the apostles were, were selected. John doesn't go into much of that, um, but he does have some foundational things, even in his brief moment of explaining this. And he's got some foundational points that we can grab onto and some revealing of truths that we can grab onto, even for us today as believers, some attitudes that we can take on as well. So up until this point, Right now, we, last week I talked about John the Baptist. Oh, sorry, two weeks ago I talked about John the Baptist. John and Cena preached an amazing message on Psalms 25. Praise the Lord. Um, but up until this point, at the time of John the Baptist, so John the Baptist, if you remember, he's been he's baptizing people in the Jordan River or he's baptizing people there. And, uh, but up until that point in time, Jesus had been alive for 30 years. He's been alive for 30 years. He's been alive in a tiny, insignificant little town called Galilee, originally from Nazareth, now living in Galilee. No one knew who he was. No one, he didn't draw attention to himself. His time had not come yet, and he was there in humility. And John the Baptist, who, according to Jesus, he was the one that spoke up first. And Jesus said that he was the greatest man that ever lived. And he was greatly respected by all of Israel, if you remember what I said last time. And he was greatly respected by all the religious leaders. And uh, they believed that he was the last true Old Testament prophet that, that's, that lived. And he was the one preaching repentance. He was, he was calling Israel and he was saying, hey, guys, we need to change. We need to repent. The kingdom of God is coming. The Messiah is coming. God is coming. We've got to change. We've got to be repentant. We've got to turn from our sinful ways. He was making way for the coming Messiah, preparing the hearts of all those that listened to the call and, re- and would repent of their ways. See, John the Baptist had an opportunity to elevate himself. He had, a, he had an opportunity to go, oh, this is my ministry, and let me go get a social gathering, and let me go get social followers. He had an opportunity to elevate himself, but instead he decided to decrease himself and elevate the Lamb of God when he arrived. So if you remember last time, the story of John the Baptist was broken up into three days. And uh, day one, John the Baptist announces that the Messiah is here. He's announcing to the priests and to the Pharisees and anyone that listened to him, the Messiah is here. Day two, he says, behold, there he is, the Lamb of God. Day three, he turns to the disciples and said, don't follow me, follow him. Don't follow, don't follow John the Baptist anymore. This is the one I've been preaching about. He is the one I've been preaching about. Follow the one who is life himself. And in verse 37, we see John's two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. 
So now we pick up in verse 38, where Jesus begins ministry and gathers followers and starts to gather the followers. Verse uh, John 1:38. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, "What are you looking for?" John the Baptist had been preaching months and months, day after day, being a true prophet of Israel. He no doubt would have been preaching that full truth of the Old Testament and that the Messiah was coming, that the Messiah is, is here. They would have heard John the Baptist preach about sin, judgment, repentance, and the need for salvation. These two disciples heard the message and they believed and they were eager to know more about the Messiah. So when John the Baptist pointed to Jesus out from the crowd and told him, follow him, they went after him. And Jesus turned Jesus walking away, Jesus turned and said, what do you want? <laughs> what are you looking for? And then they said uh, in verse 38, part B, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Where are you staying, Rabbi? See, Rabbi was a common expression that students would give to honor and respect their teachers. They basically saying to Jesus, you are our new teacher now. Where are you going? You are our new rabbi now. We know that you are the source of all wisdom and knowledge. We need to know where you're going. We need to sit down with you. We want to discover everything about you. We want to discover you. We want to know you, Jesus. And up until now, they had only heard about John the Baptist teaching and preaching about Jesus. Now they wanted to know Jesus personally. And this is the most important thing that we can do as Christians, knowing Jesus personally, learning from Jesus, knowing him. See, unfortunately, in the modern church today, the popular wisdom says that the first thing we need to do when we start coming to church, okay, we'll do a gift assessment and let's check out how the gifts are and what they can do in the church and how they can serve in the church. It's the first thing. Let's give them a job to do, hoping that they're going to stick because they feel needed and hopefully they'll grow in the process. I remember when I was, became a Christian, being in a, in a, in a, in a modern-day church, obviously, I, I, I felt the same thing. It's like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Give me something to do. Give me something to do. And, and the, the belief is that um, we need to assimilate them. We need to assimilate them into the church. And it's completely contrary to the Scripture. See, we're not looking to assimilate people into the church organization. That's not our main goal here. Our main goal is not to assimilate people into the church. Our, our goal, like John the Baptist, is to point people to Jesus by declaring the truth with our words and with our actions and assimilating people into a revelation and a relationship with Jesus Christ and a connection with him, the only true source of life and transformation and eternal life. See, like Paul says in the letter in, a, in Philippians, our love for God grows when the knowledge and understanding of Christ grows in us. And the evidence of that genuine growth, that genuine faith, as it says in James, is action. A desire to serve the Lord. A desire to love people. A desire to love the Lord. A desire to build the church. And if it's the other way around, though, if we start pushing and going, oh, we've got to do more, we will get a lot of gifted believers who do, 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 but don't know the, word, the Lord or his word personally, looking godly but denying that transformational power of God. See, and many will eventually get bitter. Many will be burnt out in religion and fall away if they go the other way 
and start looking for their gifts and start looking for what they can do, do, do. And we see it so commonly in the churches. See, if we are, if we are to last as Christians, if we are to last that our life of Christianity, being Christians, we can't just keep doing more and hoping that our gifts might be needed by the church so we can feel important. It doesn't work. We're not a rotary club. We're not a rotary club. Jesus is at the center. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the true source and everlasting life. And if he is not the center of our life, and if we put other things like our gift or our service first, then we're going to be off center and we could be burnt out eventually, which unfortunately I've seen many in many churches. See, and we, we, can, we, we need to assimilate to Christ, connect to Christ before anything else. We need to have an eager desire to connect with Jesus, the true source of life, and learn from Jesus more in a personal, one-on-one way so that we can be genuine and growing in our faith, loving God and loving people. I had to put that one in there. These two disciples, they knew Jesus was the source of true life. They knew that he was the source of eternal salvation. They knew that he was life itself, and they were eager to know Jesus personally and to learn from him. So Jesus turns, he looks at their humble hearts, he can see right through them, looks at their humble hearts, looks at their eagerness to learn from him and to connect with him personally. And he says in John 139, Come and you'll see. Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. See, the Lord's invitation is immediate. The Lord, his ability or his availability is immediate. The Lord's accessibility is immediate. The Lord will never turn down an eager heart. He will never turn down a seeking heart. Because the Bible says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. See, they didn't fully understand everything that was going on. They only just heard from John the Baptist. John the Baptist pointed and said, follow him. They didn't completely understand. But there was an eagerness a heart, a desire to want to know. They didn't fully understand what following Jesus will actually look like. (laughs) I remember, just reminding me, I remember I was talking to a a friend many years ago when I was only a new Christian. And uh, I said, I'm starting to go to church now. And he said, oh, cool. I used to go to church too. I said, oh, cool. Uh, Do you go to church now? No, no, I can't. I said, Why? He goes, uh, I said, don't, don't you love God anymore? Yeah, I, I love God. Uh, I, I, I really love him. He said, but I'm afraid that if I connect with God and I follow him, he's going to send me to an African country and I don't want to go there. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's, uh, that's funny. <laughs> I'm sure God wouldn't do that but <laughs> if that wasn't, wasn't his will. And uh, <laughs> they didn't know. They didn't know. But they still followed Jesus. They didn't know what following Jesus was actually going to look like. 
They didn't know. I was just remembering the guy. But they didn't know that Jesus was the source of life. That was enough to connect them in. They did know and they were willing to surrender to Jesus and his teaching. And this is an invitation for us today and in our journey with God. It's an invitation that no matter how long that we've been a Christian for, there is more to see. There is more to learn. John the Baptist, he had many disciples. We find out later in chapter 3 that some of the Baptist disciples, they continued to follow John the Baptist. They didn't actually follow Jesus. John the Baptist said, look, there he is. The Lamb of God, follow him. The Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the Savior of the world, the one who will pierce the heart, the one who will show every person the darkness and bring the light in, the one who will give life and life to the fullest. Look, there he is. Follow him. But yet only two disciples followed Jesus. Only two were willing to get uncomfortable and dig deeper and surrender fully to Jesus and his teachings. And sometimes that's the same for us today. Many choose to remain in the seats of their hearts, not in the pews, all right? When, we're, when someone's preaching, it's etiquette to sit down. I mean, if you want to stand up, you can. Uh, but in, your, in the hearts, there are many that choose to remain seated in their hearts. Many that choose to engage just up to a certain point with Jesus. Many choose to surrender to Jesus only beyond that certain point. See, the gospel says that there were, that there were those that followed Jesus for what they can get out of him, whether it be healing or food. Everybody likes food. But when Jesus failed to meet their expectations, they walked away. Praise the Lord. See, we can grab onto preaching and teachings that suit our desires and needs. We love to hear the preaching that fits only within our lifestyle and within our selfish desires. And I think that's why, unfortunately, the prosperity gospel teaching gains so much traction and gains so many followers because it appeals to selfishness of the gain to the world, of gaining more into the world. It's just sugar-coated, beautiful icing on top with fancy religious words, but still, it's a little bit off. And Jesus will ask you, just as he did to his disciples, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Are you looking for a comfortable Christian life? Scared to go to hell? Are you just looking for nice teachings? Teachings that might move you, but don't really transform you? Are you looking for a comfortable Christian life, comfortable with only knowledge and information, but no real transformation? Are you hoping being a Christian will, give, will, will move God's hand and give you everything that you want? When we want it, when I want it, I want it now. I think I was like that. I'm one of those when I started becoming a Christian. But if any of those is you, then following Jesus is not for you. It's a misunderstanding of the truth of Christ. But if you are eager to understand what true life on this earth and in eternity is all about, if you are eager to experience that true, genuine inner peace, true inner strength and confidence, true faith, hope and love, 
then Jesus says, come and you'll see. Come. Praise the Lord. I'm getting happy. This is like Matthew 11 where he says, learn from him. Surrender yourself to him. Surrender your habits to him. Come, you would see. Surrender your pain to him. Surrender your selfish desires and temptations to him. Surrender your worldviews and what you think life is all about to him. Come and you would see. You will see signs of spiritual growth as you depend more on Christ. You will see your inner peace grow, your strength, your confidence, your faith, hope and love grow in and through you. And whether you've only chosen to follow Jesus now or whether you've been following Jesus for decades, Jesus says, come and you will see. Open your hearts to him. So the two disciples came. They came and they stayed with Jesus that day and possibly that night. It was already four o'clock in the afternoon. See, we're not told what was said that afternoon. Um, and uh, in verse 140 says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him, John the Baptist. John the Apostle only identifies the one. I mean, it's saying there's two disciples. I mean, just a side note. It says there's two disciples, but John the Apostle only focuses on the one. Many say that it could be John the Apostle, which is the second one, but Andrew was identified. And Andrew, one of the disciples, he was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. He was convinced. And, and this is what happened when he was convinced. John 1, 40 to 41. Oh, sorry, 40. Uh, sorry, 41. His first, he, he first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. So Messiah is the Hebrew word used by the Jews. Christ is the Greek word used by us and more commonly used. But both mean the anointed one, who is Jesus, God himself. Just a side note so we can learn from that. See, Andrew didn't hesitate. Andrew didn't doubt. He had absolute certainty that he had found the Christ. Andrew would have examined Jesus that afternoon or possibly that night. He would have asked questions, talking to him for the rest of the day. For Andrew, it was, it was no longer about John the Baptist's teaching. It was not John the Baptist that convinced him. He now had a personal knowledge with Jesus because he connected with Jesus. And he wasted no time before sharing his experience with his brother, Simon. This brought joy beyond any other joy. And he brings Peter to Christ. He not only knew who Jesus was personally, but he caused him to act. It put something in his heart. Oh, I found the Lord. I found the Lord. And he made him act and said, I'm going to go find my brother. I've got to go tell him. It causes him to act. It was evidence of his genuine faith. He believed and he brought his brother in. And that's how the kingdom grows, right? One person at a time. One brings another because of genuine belief and personal connection to Christ. So John 1.42, and he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, said, you're Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. 
So there's no indication that, that Jesus knew Peter before that. But Jesus knows everyone and every person. This must have been a big shock for Peter when he, when he heard that. They were going, man, I just, uh, I'm walking to you, man. Why, you know, he just shocked me. In Matthew 16, the, the story unfolds a little bit differently, where, we, where we, there is a different context and a different purpose for the writing. But Jesus looked at him and said, you are Peter. You are no longer Simon, which is what Peter means in Greek, which is uh, rock. Uh, you are the rock that Jesus will build on his church, will build his church on. Jesus was telling Peter that he not only knows Peter, but he knows what Peter will become. It's going to be a tough journey. It was going to be a tough journey for Peter that we read. But Jesus knew that he would become a rock. Someone who would be as firm as a rock to continue the work of the kingdom after Jesus departs. Peter will be prepared by his master. He will be prepared by the master craftsman, by the master teacher, the one who knows Peter perfectly, the one who prepares each person for his kingdom and fits each person for his will. Sometimes in our life, we can be so consumed by brokenness or pain, circumstances, we can forget God has a plan for us. God doesn't cause the pain, but he does work out all things for good to those that love God. God desires us to grow and prepare us for our future. See, I wouldn't be able to tell you five years ago, I would be here leading the church and preaching. Lisa, my wife, said it many years ago, but I did not want to believe it. But I can tell you that all the pain that I endured, all the rejection that I felt, the disappointments, the losses that I had to process, the failed plans, the failed expectations, the death to selfishness, the brokenness, the darkness I've been through, the perseverance, the endurance, the trusting, the praying, all these experiences... All these character-building moments, past and present and ongoing, has led me right here to where I am right now in my life. And Jesus, when he called it to Peter, he knew it was going to be a tough road. And for you, sometimes we could struggle in our battles. We could struggle. We face these battles. And I've been in unbearable ones. Unbearable ones, sometimes couldn't even breathe properly. I wanted to run and hide. But I'll do it again. Praise the Lord. I shouldn't be saying that. But I trust the Lord. <laughs> I trust the plans that he has. And I surrender to the preparation needed to bring glory to his name. And as men and women of faith, let's trust the Lord that his plans are always good plans. And as men and women of faith, let's surrender to his will. Let's lose our life. As Jesus said it, so we can gain true and everlasting life. Okay, so that was John and Peter, one more and the one more. That was the first group of disciples. I'll try to be a little bit quicker now. I'm nearly done, hopefully. Now let's look at the other group. Hope you're getting something out of this this morning. John 1.43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. See, Jesus walked about 30 kilometers to Galilee 
I mean, that's, that's a tough walk. I mean, I couldn't do it. I mean, Lily did 54 kilometers or something like that. 50? <laughs> that's a... I don't know if I can make 30 kilometers, really. I mean, maybe 300, I could be all right. Maybe three, mm, pushing it. David's pushing me by my side, maybe. <laughs> but it would have been a tough walk. It would have taken him all day to walk this thing out. And it was very likely that Peter and Andrew and the other disciples, they were with Jesus. So I would imagine the more and more questions that they continued to ask him and even interrogate him on. And uh, we'll go to the next verse, John 1, Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. See, Bethsaida was a small town in Galilee or in the Sea of Galilee. It means the house of fishing. I mean, it's suited because they were all fishermen. It's a fishing village, and they were all from the same village. So Jesus finds Philip, and he, and he says to follow him. And that's a statement that Jesus says again and again in the Gospels. You remember what Jesus said, that if anyone will come after me, let him take up his cross and deny themselves and follow him. So this is the start of following. Jesus says, follow me or follow him. It's the start of our following. It, but it's a call not for that momentary decision because sometimes we can go, yeah, I'm going to follow him. But the decision needs to follow through with a commitment. Because a lot of times we get that confused. We go, yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. But it's the commitment that's going to follow you through to actually do the decision that you made. And many Christians think, well, it's, it's just, a, I made the decision to follow Christ, but it's a lifetime commitment. It's a lifetime, a continuous action of following him, of coming after him and seeing him. So Philip follows Jesus and he once again it doesn't say what happened between the time Philip followed and the next verse, but it must have been really impacting for Philip. Because Philip, Philip's conclusion of Jesus was enough and it was life-changing. We see it in the next verse, John 1.45. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth, very specific testimony. They identified who Jesus was, the stepson of Joseph, an absolute nobody from an absolute nobody town. They identified him. And Nathaniel says, verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? How is that possible? Nathaniel asked, how can the Messiah be a nobody, a stepson of a nobody from a nobody town and even look down upon Galileans and people around that area, Judea? And, uh, and then Philip says, well, okay, 146, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Similar to verse 39, when Jesus said to him, you, you will see. Are you willing to know Christ personally for you? That's what he's saying. Are you willing to know? Come and see. Don't just hear about it. Sometimes we like to hear about it, but we don't like to connect it in our hearts. Like what John, was, uh, John Rumi was saying. And Nathaniel was told by Philip, you come, you ask the question yourself, you inquire before the Lord, you get before him, you ask him. Nathaniel, with a heart open, agreed, and he went with Philip. So they, they head over to Jesus, and verse 147, then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In Romans 2, 
Paul talks about what a true Israelite looks like. And an Israelite looks like a, is a true, on the inside, a true believer, a true believer of God. One who's made acceptable by the faith, a refined in all of Israel. And Nathaniel was that man, a very real thing. He was real, he was honest, integral, and he was a seeker of the truth. So he went after Christ, went to go look and see with his own eyes. Jesus sees it into Nathaniel's heart. And Nathaniel's response is obvious to this point. And uh, in John 1.48, it says, How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus is saying, he not only knows you on the inside, he knows everything about you. He knows everything. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He could see your heart. He could see your body. He could see everything. That experience alone was so overwhelming for Nathaniel. And not only that, but Philip explained that he's the one that Moses prophesied about. And now he's got his own personal encounter with God. He's convinced. And he says in, in 149 to 50, Rabbi, Nathaniel replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. These are powerful testimonies that John the Apostle was showing those, was showing us of Jesus, the Christ, so that we have no doubt, so we can completely believe. John the Baptist declares Jesus, the Lamb of God. Andrew declares him as the Messiah. Philip declares Jesus as the one Moses talked about. And Nathaniel declares Jesus as Rabbi, the Son of God, King of Israel. See, and in the biblical tradition, the act of naming, the act of speaking, we hear that in Romans, if you believe in your heart and you speak with your mouth, you will be saved. The act of speaking something out, the act of declaring something and naming something, it demonstrates an authority to what you're calling out. By declaring who Jesus is, they identify the power, the significance, the authority of Jesus. And us, when we declare Jesus, the absolute truth, when we declare who he is, we are, the, we are also coming under this authority. Jesus takes this little group of fishermen from the back of nowhere who caught fish at the shore of Galilee, a collective te- testimony, common people, the most unexpected sources to carry his truth. There's not a rabbi in here as a follower There's not a priest, a Pharisee, no leader of the temple. They weren't the best suited men. They weren't, the, I'm sure, the best looking men. They weren't the hippest, coolest happening men in town with the most followers. None of these these people would have made the selection according to anyone's standards. But rather, God chose the humble. God chose the ones with an open heart. They were seeking already. They were seeking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah. God chose them. He, he chose these humble rural, rural fishermen, the most insignificant, uninfluential people from the most insignificant town to become the first followers of Jesus and later were chosen to be apostles, the first preachers, the first ministers. These insignificant, uninfluential powerless disciples brought the gospel to the whole world god chose the lowly things of this world 
to confound the wise. He chose the lowly things of this world to advance the gospel. It can't be attributed to the power of people advancing the gospel. It can only be attributed to the power of God. And a lot of times we might think that we're insignificant. A lot of th- times we might think, well, I came from a bad family and I came from the back of the sticks and I, you know, I came from the lowly of lows and the anybody, nobodies, I'm nothing. We could say that too about ourselves. We could say, well, I'm not influential enough. People don't listen to me when I talk. You know, I, 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 it's just, I, I can't speak in front of people. I couldn't speak, man. I hated public speaking. I really, really did. I really hated it with a passion. I would tremble and sweat, and I still do sometimes. But the Bible says God has chosen you. You have been chosen. You have been chosen to be his disciple. You have been chosen to declare the word of God with your words and with your actions. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to come from a good family. You don't have to come from a wealthy family. You don't have to have it all together. You just need to believe in Jesus and learn from Jesus. Come and you would see. John 150, uh, sorry, 151. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the, man, on, on the Son of Man. See, the disciples declared who Jesus is. Now Jesus himself is declaring who he is. He declares himself to be the Son of Man. And he uses this term on himself over 80 times in the Gospels. The name Son of Man is associated with the themes of crucifixion, suffering, and authority. And Jesus quotes from Genesis 28 where Jacob had a dream of an open heaven where the angels ascended and descended. We used to hear that quite often. Jesus declares, he is the ladder. He is the ladder in that dream. Jesus is the very gate of heaven. heaven. He is that ladder. He is the gate where people will encounter the heavenly father. Jesus is the link between the father and the the world of mankind. Jesus is the holy place where mankind encounters God. Let Christ be the center of your life. Seek him. Desire to follow him. Come. You would see. He will not let you down. Would you close your eyes right now and connect to Jesus? I invite the van to come up. Let Christ right now be the center of your life. Let Christ increase in your life. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you right now. We welcome you. We thank you, Lord. You open our hearts right now, Lord. Have your way. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Reveal Christ and his truth to every person right now. We thank you, Jesus. Reveal your truth to every person, Lord. Father, create in us a seeking heart, an eager desire to connect with you, Lord. Jesus, be the center of our world. Give us eyes to see. Give us the heart to seek you no matter what. Because Jesus, you will never turn down a seeking heart. 
you say yes. Come, you will see. Come, you've been a Christian for decades. Come, you will see. Open your heart to him right now. We thank you, God. We thank you, Father, that you are the true source of all life and everlasting life. We lose our life to gain your true life. Jesus, we surrender to you right now. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Help us to genuinely grow in our faith, in our hope, in our love. Teach us how to love God, love people. Teach us how to proclaim the gospel. Teach us, show us. We surrender our expectations of you, Lord, and we align our mind and our heart to your truth. Holy Spirit, have your way right now, Lord. Have your way. Areas of our heart that have been closed up and shut up because of areas of unbelief or doubt or worry or concern. Jesus, would you reveal your light in those dark areas? We surrender to you right now, Lord, because we know that you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the chosen one. You are God himself, the creator of all things. You created us with a purpose. You created us with a plan. And Lord, teach us your ways. Help us to have the courage, the strength to follow you, to grab hold of you, to grab hold of your truth, to engage with you, to not just believe, but to act in our belief. Help us to understand the truth of your word, Lord, and let the gates of heaven open over our lives. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the gate of heaven. You are the ladder that Jacob dreamt about, that, Lord, you provide a way for us. And we thank you so much, God, that today, any areas of our heart that might be blocked, any parts of our eyes or anything in our sight that we can't see, we ask you, Lord, that you would remove those veils and scales off our eyes. In Jesus' name, we trust you. Even in our troubles, we trust you. Help us to see life in a kingdom perspective. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.